Question for you. Who is your favorite preacher? Just think about it for a second. Who is your favorite preacher? Not of all time, because then you're thinking politically, if I don't say my current pastor of my church, I might get in trouble. So of all antiquity, all dead or alive, some of your favorite preachers, who would they be? Okay, this is what I want to try. If you, some of you would, text me who some of your favorite preachers are. They're going to put my iPhone on the screen. Let's see if that'll work. Oh, it didn't work. So if you text me, that's that's my number. If you text me, it'll show up in a minute. They're going to put it up on Elmo and you'll be able to see my iPhone and we'll see some of your favorite preachers. So while you are texting me, pull out your iPhone. See, you've never been asked to do that, have you? Pull out your phone and text in church, please. There it is. All right, so it's going to pop up here. Um, let me see if I get any, any responses of some of you who are your favorite preachers. Are. While doing that, I'm going to talk about my favorite preacher. Oh, wait. It's right there. Oh, you can't see it. Yeah, that's bad. Okay, do this for me upstairs. If y'all would put the slide, go to PowerPoint so they can get the number. And then when you see some popping up, you can bring it up and then go back to the PowerPoint. So let them go back and forth. All right, does that help? Yeah, that's going to help. Okay, because I cheated and only did my computer. You've not learned a thing, have you? Okay. I have not learned anything. There we go. So here is my number. Thank you. So you did learn something. My telephone number. Please don't text me at night. I'm just kidding. My phone, I'm always available uh, here at church, at home. uh, As a minister of the gospel, Uh, we're on 24-7. If it's something silly, I might not answer. If I read your message, I might reply on Monday, but if it's serious, I want to know about it and we'll reply immediately. So just wanted to talk a little bit about my favorite preacher, Louis Giglio. Any of you heard of Louis Giglio? Um, He was a youth, no, a college intern here at Champion Forest back in the 80s. Any of y'all knew Louis Giglio in the 80s here at Champion Forest? I see some people. Yeah. Um, I think he met his wife here, Shelly. She went to Klein Forest, Shelly Giglio, I think they, who wasn't Giglio then, but they met each other. Anyway, at Baylor, he started a ministry called Choice Ministries, and he began a Bible study. Can y'all read that? Oh, they're coming in too fast. Tony Evans, there's one. Avery Lamell. All right, y'all can read that while I'm talking about Louie. So, um... When I went to Choice, I'd never heard of Louis Giglio, and it was right at that college years when you're really eager to learn. Are they putting silly stuff up? No. There's Billy Graham, Tony Evans. That's a good one. Chuck Swindoll. No Louis Giglios? What's the deal? It was at a, in college at a time when I was eager to learn, and when you're in college, you are looking for that deep spiritual truth if you're a Christian. And the Choice Bible Study, it was, it was engineered in such a great way, but he was such an effective communicator that connected with me. We're talking about the subjects that I was interested in and the things about God, and it was a fantastic time of learning and growing in the things of God. And so I really looked up to Louis Giglio, and 
while I was at Baylor, I was also a summer youth minister down in Pearsall, south of San Antonio. So during the summers, I would go and I would be their youth minister. But then when school started, I had to go back to Baylor. And when I was at Baylor, they said, hey, what if we flew you down once a month during the school year just to add some consistency to the youth ministry? And I thought, that's a great idea. So I would go to the Waco Regional Airport. I would fly to Dallas, change planes to fly to San Antonio to get in a car and drive an hour to Pearsall. That was my path once a month. One of those times, I'm sitting in the Waco Regional Airport, and Louis Giglio walks in, and he's going to be on a flight to Dallas. I thought, wow, this is great. So from a distance there in the waiting room, I thought, I'm just going to watch Louie and kind of see what he does. It was early in the morning. Maybe I'll catch him having his quiet time. Maybe I'll gain some insight, you know, from afar. I wasn't one of those stalker people. So I was watching him, and he was sitting over there, and I could tell he was reading his Bible. All of a sudden, he started doing this. So I started doing this, thinking that I'm tapping into some spiritual aura that I was missing out on otherwise. Nothing happened. I kept watching Louie. Uh, we got on the plane. The flight was horrible. It was rainy. It was lightning and thundering. But at that time in my young, immature faith, I was thinking, well, I am safe as ever because God is not going to take Louis Giglio. He's that awesome. We are going to be fine. That's not good biblical truth. But uh, we did make it fine to Dallas and got back. So it was a, a great experience. And so are we, are we back to the PowerPoint? We can go back to the PowerPoint. Ben Stewart, yeah. Giggum. So, a couple of other questions. As we've thought about some of our favorite preachers, what or how can we answer these questions regarding preachers? First of all, what is a preacher? You asked that question. I did on Facebook. I got a lot of interesting answers. What about between a preacher and a teacher within a church in that context? A lot of different answers. These are things that I'm very interested in. I'm always looking driving down to the meaning of the word. What does it mean? Are people living up to that expectation? And then uh, moving on from there. What makes the individual good? Why Why do you think they're a good preacher? Now, okay, so teaching the word of God. If they're doing that, that's a check. What are some other things, maybe not for you, but what are things that other people might cause them to feel that someone is a good or bad preacher? If they effectively communicate. Yeah, they're, they're not chasing words, trying to figure out what to say. They're prepared. Good. What else? What is it? They walk the walk. That's a big one. If you know their personal life and they walk the walk, a lot of the names up here that are given, we probably don't even know much of their personal lives, do we? Because they're people that have already have developed a following. Probably why you like them, you would not have heard about them had they not developed a following. And someone said, hey, have you heard of uh, Tony Evans? Okay, so we don't really know him, but we like the way he communicates. What about physics? What about the way they dress? I mean, would it matter if, you know, they came in in their tank top? Would you feel any better or worse about the person preaching? Or if they wore a jacket, should? Did you say should? Okay, so I just made Carolyn Bailey's day. So looking the part makes you a little more ministerial. And um, it also helps when you go visiting in the hospitals. If you're dressed up more and you tell them you're a minister, you can park in the clergy parking. And you can, they, they'll, they're nicer to you at the nurses' stations. Oh, good, you're coming to pray. They appreciate that. So that's good, huh? Okay. 
on the other end of the continuum, within the same family, the Apostle Paul says you should dress like or be appropriate to the people that you're communicating to, uh, that you, he becomes all things so that he might win some. Uh, excellent advice. Um, what about hooks? What about those little things like, like I, I call them gimmicks? For example, I'm not above a gimmick. I brought a cannon the last time I spoke. You know, anything to help, you know, say, okay, I might stay a few more minutes. He's got a cannon. Maybe it's going to explode. That's worth it. I'm staying. So a gimmick might get people to come, but I caution you, what you, what you get them here with is what you have to keep them with. So if your modus operandi as a communicator is, I've got tricks and spooks and magic and stuff happening, uh, flash and sizzle on the stage, I've got to keep that up week after week after week, or I'm going to lose the people that I got them with. The people that are like, oh, I hate that stuff whenever you don't have it. Then they're like, oh, finally, good. Now I can appreciate it. But, you know, people choose churches. uh, In a survey I was looking at, 90% said that the pastor of the church was the main decision of whether or not they would stay in a church or leave a church, which makes sense because he's communicating every week. I heard a pastor one time say, what business do you have your, the employee have to give an address to the shareholders every single week? Know what you feel like? Because when your addresses are bad, your speeches are bad, uh, maybe they don't like the way that you return emails or other things. I have a friend recently uh, just came to a church, moved his family from another state, came to a church, getting involved, and then They all of a sudden didn't like him. He wasn't their hero anymore, or at least the majority that ruled the stakeholders, if you will. And they asked him to leave. And, you know, if he did, you would, whatever, never mind. So he did. And, you know, how how do you justify that with how God's leadership is in your family? And how do we, as, as Christians, first and foremost, we should be trusting God to lead us to a church, to hear a particular speaker. And God will do that. God will lead us and move us. Sometimes in spite of our own opinions of who's speaking and the way they communicate. Nevertheless, as a communicator of the gospel, it is vital that we as communicators are prepared, that we are seeking the Lord, and that we are ready to present the goods, if you will, an opportunity to grow us up. Because Ephesians 4 says the church is here to equip the saints for the work of service. And that's what we are going to be about. Okay, so... Jesus on preaching. Uh, Jesus had a lot of things that he had to say about preaching, and I wanted to point out one. You know, I could not find a paper English Standard Version Bible. All my Bibles are electronic. Couldn't find one anywhere. So you know where I got this? The Lost and Found. What a great idea. It's a little bedazzled, feminine, but it is a Bible all the same. Um, Here in John 4... 24, let's see, let me see that. So here in John, oh, focus. Do what? Autofocus, yep, there it is. Nice. Oh, I still got someone saying Adrian Rogers. Good one. Here in uh, Matthew 4, 23, it says, And he went throughout, I'm not going to highlight it because this is somebody else's Bible. I, I wouldn't do that. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching or proclaiming the gospel 
of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So the word here, teaching, did ask him, uh, what he might do with his disciples or what you might find in the synagogue. He goes on proclaiming, this is the Greek word caruso, and it is a proclamation with gravity. That you, it's, it's, it would be like if I were to say, hey, the bridge is out down here, so you probably don't want to drive your car down this way because you might get, uh, fall off the edge of the bridge. So you would go this way, and that's just maybe teaching you. But to preach it, you would say, listen, the bridge is out on this street. Do not go there. I'm trying to get you somewhere. I want you to go this way. There's two choices you can make. There's a road to life and there's a road to death. You choose which way you want to go. See the difference? Preaching and teaching. Sometimes when you're preaching, you lose your voice. So this is the word Caruso. And what Jesus said here is that this is the reason that I was sent to preach. Thanks. To preach the gospel. Thank you very much. You are a servant. So, that's what Jesus says about... Oh, that helped. That's great. That's what Jesus said about preachers. So, what we're going to look at today is John Chrysostom of the four doctors of the Roman uh, Catholic Church. We have uh, these four. There are four of the Eastern Orthodox Church. We're going to look at the last one today. Number four is St. John Chrysostom. He was born in Syria, in Antioch of Syria. Do you all remember one of the important things that the Scripture says about Antioch? In Acts, do you all know the... Look on the front row. Yes, it's the first place that they were named Christians, that Christians were called Christians in Antioch of Syria. So this is where he was born to, some say pagan parents, some have said his mom was a Christian. Nevertheless, um, as, far as, as far as I know and we understand that she was a Christian, his dad was in the military and died very young. So as a single mom, she had to raise John Chrysostom. And one of the things that she did is make sure he had a first-rate education and took him, um, let's see, where's his education, his Education was from Libanius, Libanius, Libanius. I don't really know these words. And like Mark says, I wasn't there, so I don't know how they pronounce their names. But for us today, Libanius. Okay. Uh, He was a pagan teacher, though. He was not a Christian, so he got a pagan education and trained to be a lawyer. And he was very good. In fact, Libanius had said that had the Christians not stolen John, he would have been one of my premier students. But he began convicted when he was uh, 23 years old. He was baptized and got real serious about his faith and to the point that he was ready to go off and join a monastery. But his mom said, look, I've lost my, you're a dad, my husband, don't make me grieve twice. So he resisted the urge to go and join the monastery in order to stay with his mom and take care of her for three years until she died. But he used that time to study and show himself approved. And he was, uh, he was, um, made a reader in the 
in the church, which means he got to read the scriptures, and then he would get, get to explain what those scriptures meant, and uh, began to study theology. So his mom died when he three years later after he was baptized. So he's 26, and he goes to um, join a monastery. For six years he was there, and while he was there, about two of those years, he took a vow of uh, getting away from everyone else. Uh, so he was in solitude, only eating bread and water, and it messed up his kidneys, or his liver rather, and his stomach. So at, at this point, uh, his health was horrible, and he had to leave and go back to Antioch. So he goes back to Antioch, and they make him a priest. So it's a... I don't know if I have that yet. Not yet. So they make him a priest, and he is able to... Um, or actually a deacon. He was made a deacon first. So just like I was served water, that's what a servant does, diakonos, from the Greek. And it means servant. It's not a political group at your church. It's a it's a group that serves. And in fact, at Champion Forest, we appoint or elect deacons based on how we see them live their lives. So if you want to be a deacon, the last thing you want to do is say, hey, I want to sign up to be a deacon. Because that's like, hey, look at me. You want to be the guy in the back that's always serving taking care of other people, looking for opportunities to serve, which really is what all Christians should be doing, right? And when we identify them, we ask if they want to become a deacon in selection process here at our church. And as a result, um, his main responsibility, although some service stuff that he was able to do, he was um, taking care of the orphans, the widows, the sick. Uh, that was his main responsibility, and it really made an impact on his life. Now, when he got saved... He lamented all of the sins that he had committed prior to that because he was getting serious with his faith up, faith. up to that point, he was not. But he listed his most horrible sins were eating rich food, too rich of food, and also going to the theater too often. So if those were your worst sins, we would go, hey, no problem. But it begs me a, it begs a question for me. My second favorite preacher is Joel Gregory. You want to hear Joel? Any Joel Gregory's a few. Pastor Travis Avenue Baptist, Pastor of First Baptist Dallas. Unfortunately, and this is public knowledge, so I don't consider me a gossip, but in his case, he had um, a, a mistress and brought her from one church to the next in secret and got found out, and he lost his job. He was sent out appropriately. Uh, he was out selling funeral plots in Florida at one point that I heard. Since then, he's been restored and uh, is working at uh, Truett Seminary at Baylor University. And he was, and probably still is, I haven't heard him in a while, a magnificent orator at youth camp, Falls Creek Baptist Encampment. Anyone? Falls Creek in Florida. Thank you. Uh, outside Tabernacle with big, huge fans. Uh, he was up there preaching and spitting. Like, I spit, so I think, okay, well, that's okay. The, some of the best do it. Some of the best impactful sermons I have ever heard. Why do I talk about Joel Gregory? Sometimes when ministers fail, we throw out the child with the bathwater. You know what I mean? How can we trust anything that they said or, or, or that they did? Last week, Mark was given the example of, well, these particular priests uh, gave up their Bibles to keep from being killed. So when they came back, we're not going to let them baptize and do sacraments. Well, 
there is a restoration process. And even if they're not restored, any truth that God brings to you from someone that may or not be your favorite preacher or may or not be the most upright person at some point and they were disciplined as a result, you can still appreciate their teaching and what God taught you through them. It's not an excuse to say, no, that's okay. It's not okay. But for you and the 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 good things that you heard about them, about the things of God, you can still take that to the bank and still study and show yourself approved. Don't throw them out. So here we go. He was uh, baptized. We talked about that he was ordained as a deacon. He was ordained as a priest. And then eventually he became the bishop of Constantinople. This was not a good thing because as a priest, he delivered the most eloquent sermons. And in fact, um, his sermons were so great, people would come and transcribe them. They, they wanted to keep them for posterity. Nowadays, we would just record it and put it on the internet, right? Well, back then, they did not have that option. So for somebody to sit with shorthand and to write out everything that was said, that caused a commitment. And his sermons were so good, and people would come from all over to hear because he had a special way of connecting with the common man. And it was hitting people right where they lived, and they were able to grow and learn. And not only that, he became when he became the bishop of Constantinople, which was a powerhouse. Constantinople was a power city. And the, the bishop there was kind of getting along to go along, or going along to get along. Uh, the emperor lived there. He would throw these lavish parties. And of course, the church was part of the government. They would bring them in, and they would have these delicious meals. Um, they were not so helpful to the orphaned and to the widows, uh, difficult there. So when he became the bishop, knowing his history, what do you think he did? He said no to all of that stuff. Any extra money that came in, he gave it to the poor. It didn't pass through the other priests, and they all take their cut. Everything went straight through. So someone who said, you, the, the preacher that you like is the one that lives according to the way he preaches, This is exactly what they found in John Chrysostom. In fact, his name, his last name was not Chrysostom that was given to him. It's a combination of two Greek words that were given him a nickname after he was dead, which meant golden-mouthed. So Chrysostom literally means golden-mouthed, and that's what they called him after his death to commemorate what a great guy he was and uh, still one of the top four in the Eastern Orthodox Church. If my voice is hurting you, I apologize. It's not hurting me, but it does distract me. So I pray that as you hear the preacher, you can hear the message and not the presentation. But see the presentation, that's okay. Constantinople. Uh, He began getting enemies from his uh, fellow priests because he made them work. And they couldn't just hang out and have the dinners. Um, and then he wouldn't go to the dinner. So the priest or the emperor uh, was not happy about that either. And so as a result, he made some enemies. And at some point he was banished. Um, actually, it was before his death. In Constantinople, the emperor's wife got it in her head that all of his sermons on Jezebel were related to her. Now, sometimes if the shoe fits... <laughs> You just got to wear it. But if you're defensive about it, you're going to understand that, oh, why is he doing all these sermons against me? And he would talk a lot about almsgiving. Uh, He would talk a lot about 
how to help the poor and that we should be doing it. And if you had any wealth, that's why God gave it to you to pass it on to people who were in need. That's what the Bible talked about. He would teach them. In fact, uh, one of the great things that he did is that when the emperor was rioted against in Antioch, taxes came in, the people in Antioch, they revolted, they rioted. The last time that happened in in, uh, Thessalonica, like 6,000 people were killed. They sent them in and wiped them out the city. So people were fleeing Antioch because they knew what was coming. What did John Chrysostom do? He stood in the pulpit. He continued to preach his messages, not against the emperor, but to the people. And this is what he said. You need to repent. You need to live right. These were the same sermons that he was preaching. And the people responded. Lost people got saved. And it did not go missed on the emperor. The emperor relented his punishment plan and the city of Antioch was spared because a man of God stood and did what he should do. The people of God responded and did what they should do. That's the way to bless the heart of a pastor or a preacher or men and women of God to to hear the word and then to do it. So that just gained his popularity. I mean, people were just loving it. So back to the emperor's wife. She had it. And uh, she and... um, one other guy had it against him, and so they finally trumped up charges and had him uh, banished from Constantinople. So he was out. Half a year later, he was back in because the people wouldn't hear of it. Took him a while to get built back up, but they brought him back. He was back for six months until they found another way to exile him. And with the exile, he had to walk, you know, a couple of countries over there in Europe to... Uh, to his exile on purpose in rain and cold. It was meant to be his death, and it was. Eventually, John Chrysostom died of walking in the elements. He was already an unhealthy individual and did his last rites. And uh, one of the things that he said, especially when he came back to uh, Constantinople after the first exile, he said in his first sermon back, he says, glory to our God for all. For all that is good and all that is bad, glory to our God. That was his response coming back from his first banishment. And it is said that on his deathbed, he uttered the words after the sign of the cross and been given his last rites, glory to our God for all. A man content in doing what he was called to do, being about his father's business, and it didn't matter what everybody else did, his sermons were not vengeful. Instead, he was pointing the people that were entrusted to him to grow and to learn in the things of God. So, great example. Moving on to his sermons as we work through. He was a a great orator. Like I said, uh, he knew what to say. He knew how to say it. um, And he he preached every day. He said, um, I cannot let a day pass without feeding you with the treasures of Scripture. Was that important to him? So every day he was preaching. I'm sure his voice had built up enough by then. I'm going to have to talk to Mark about teaching more so that y'all don't have to go through this. One of the things that he was known for, not just verse-by-verse exposition, but word-by-word. Every word was a reflection for him, and he needed to get down to the meaning of the word. Um, Another thing that he did back at this time People were, a lot of times, people were Christian in name only. It was a government thing. It was easy to do. Hey, you want to get saved? You want to 
be forgiven of your sins and live with God forever in heaven? Forever in heaven? Well, sure. Okay, that's this easy believism that we see in our culture even today. Uh, but people were getting on the bandwagon. It was just the thing to do. There was not persecution going on at this particular time. And so John Chrysostom would always aim his sermons at the saved for the most part. People were still getting saved. But he wanted them, his hearers, to be confirmed in their faith, to make sure you know that you know that you know. They're all saying the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. He wanted them to know what the main thing is and that they keep the main thing, the main thing in their life, not just in the church services, but every day of the week. And this guy was living it. They could see him in the courtyards. They would know he wasn't going to the big dinners. He wasn't keeping the money. He was giving so much away. It was amazing that the hospitals were being built in that area because he was taking all the money and giving it to those who could help the people that needed it the most and in need of social justice and uh, for correction for their lives. He was very, very hard on himself. He was hard on his people, but he was harder on himself of living a holy life, checking the change when he got baptized as he began to study to, to take action with what he knew was truth to the point that he got sick trying to live the kind of life he understood the Bible called for. And in the meantime, he was teaching people how to be, uh, how to grow up in their faith and to mature in their faith. One example is Acts 6. Oh, do I have that yet? Oh, we're almost done. Acts 6, 1 through 8. This is one of the examples of him uh, honing down on a particular word. He says this, he says uh, in Acts 1, 6 through 8, the Bible says, And when they met together, they asked him, Lord, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when Jesus was asked this question earlier in Mark 13, 32, if you're taking notes, you can compare this, Mark thirteen thirty two, before the crucifixion. Jesus was asked the same question. Do you know when this is all going to be over, when you're coming back, when the end is going to come? And at that time, he said, no one knows, not I don't know, the angels don't know, only the Father knows. But John noticed that here in Acts 1, 6 through 8, that he didn't say that he did not know. And it wasn't that he found out maybe, but it was that John was telling showing the shift of responsibility from Jesus to the apostles, that he was passing that mantle on and they were receiving it. And now it was important to know what they knew and that they needed to know the right thing. Uh, Five things that John Chrysostom said that he wanted uh, his people to know. There is a son of God. God has a son equal with himself in dignity. There will be a resurrection of the dead. When Jesus ascended, he sat on the right hand of God. And what is still more stupendous, he said, the flesh is seated in heaven and adored by angels and that he will come again. And what will take place in judgment, this is the last thing, that the Jews will be cast out and in their stead, the Gentiles will come in. So he was not big on the Jews. Uh, Just like Pastor David said, Jews hated Gentiles, the Gentiles hated the Jews. 
And uh, he was of the mind that the Jews were out, the Gentiles were in, and they'd be sitting in judgment. Um, that's not what the Bible says, but uh, that was one of his uh, proponents that he wanted people to know. So this is the life of John Chrysostom. Um, going back just for a second to what Jesus said about preaching. I wanted to uh, continue your Greek lesson just a little bit. Um, We'll impress Mark that y'all already know some more stuff while he's gone. Don't tell him that I told y'all this. But the word, uangelizo, talking about preaching the good news. Uangelizo is a word made made up of two words. One is angelos. Angelos, here there's two gammas, and those both have the G sound. And the G sound, this would be agalos, but when two gammas are together, it makes the ung sound. There's an N-G when those are together. It's where we get our word angel, angelos, angel. Uh, remember back we were talking in Revelation, the six, the six, uh, oh, sorry, the seven, uh, seven letters to the seven churches. Each one was addressed to the angel or the angelos of the church, which could be translated as angel or messenger or the overseer of the church. I'm going out, aren't I? Oh, no. The overseer of the church. And so I believe that's how, that's what's meant in Revelation, that it's to the overseer, to the messenger the one delivering the message at the church as opposed to an angel over each church. And there, there may be angels over all of the churches. And certainly there are angels and they're over the churches, not in authority, but in protection and other things that angels do. Um, but this is, where this, <clears throat> this is where this word comes from, angelos. And it, this is the noun form. The verb form is to speak a message. And you put ou on the first of it, and that means good or well good message or good news. So this is where Jesus says that he came to teach the Dasco. Y'all remember the Didache, we taught about that, which is a teaching, uh, things that were the teachings of the apostles, the, the Didachos. Um, and it also, we get our word, the da, uh, dialect, or no, didactic, which is the way we teach back and forth, a, a back and forth teaching, more of a conversation is teaching. So Jesus said, I came to teach, but I also came to Proclaim Uangelizo, the good news of the kingdom, which is in Matthew. Another little hint, just real quick. Matthew would never say the kingdom of God. You want to know why? Luke would, because Luke was writing to Greeks. And Greeks were okay with saying God, Theos, Theon. They were okay with saying that. But a good Jew would never say the word of God. So you wouldn't write it because their letters were meant to be read. They weren't passing them out. They were read amongst people. And so uh, the, um, I lost my train. Theos, oh, the kingdom. Basilia, which is what? The Greek word we learned last week. I remember that. Basilia, kingdom. Matthew would always say the kingdom of heaven. Because he knew that a Jew would not appreciate the word God being there. Now, Luke, on the other hand, would always say the kingdom of God. So if you're reading a scripture and you see kingdom of heaven, you know more than likely that's coming from Matthew and not Luke because of who they were writing to predominantly. 
Uh, very, very interesting as you look through the Synoptic Gospels as well as John. Uh, they each had a purpose, and they were writing to that purpose. So, Uangelizo, he was writing, uh, proclaiming Caruso with gravity and with authority, teaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And, as, and also the last thing, he did healing, which I didn't bring this up later, but healing was the validation of the teaching and of the preaching. It validated what Jesus was saying. Oh, this guy must be worth his salt. He can say some things. It might take me a week or two to figure out if that's true, but I just saw him heal my friend. This guy probably knows what he's talking about. I'm going to pay more attention. So that's one of the big reasons that Jesus did miracles in order to validate his teaching and his preaching. And that's exactly what John Chrysostom took seriously because we see that his preaching and his teaching, along with the good things that he did, he put his faith into action, gave validity to what he was saying. People were more likely to listen to him when he was hoarse because they knew the kind of life that he lived and that he meant what he was saying and that it was important that they grow in their faith that they wanted to be serious about their faith because it was no easy believism that he had going on. So, moving on to our points for home. These won't be as fast as they usually are because it's actually part of the lesson, but we're doing great on time, so no worries. Uh, First thing is thank God for preachers. Here in this verse, Romans 10, 14 through 15. How can they call on the one who they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Uangelizo, news that is good, that is worth hearing, and that is worth practicing and applying. How will they know unless a preacher is sent? What did Jesus tell his disciples when Mark was telling the story about Jesus going to the, to the disciples and calling them one by one, sometimes two by two, uh, not to be confused with Noah and the animals. But he would call his 12 disciples and Mark says that he called them to Caruso to preach with vigor the kingdom of God. The mantle has been passed from Jesus to the disciples. What did Jesus do? I mean, the apostles, they passed the mantle on to whom? The bishops, the priests. But some understood this multiplication idea that we in the pulpit are not the ones that are doing the the good work of God. We're not the ones that are paid to take care of God's business, and you're just here to make sure that we're doing what we're doing. We're passing the mantle on. Each week, Mark stands up here and has a fantastic orator and a great guy to sit underneath and listen and learn from to not only know how to speak. Oh, I didn't tell y'all. I was saying earlier that uh, John Chrysostom, he studied to be a lawyer, and then when he got saved, he became a priest. While Mark was just the opposite. He was studying to go into the ministry and then went to law school and became a lawyer. So the opposite of John, I don't know if that is any takeaway for anything. But uh, Mark told me, he said when he went to law, uh, he was talking to some of his uh, school professors when he was studying the ministry. And uh, they said, whether you stay in ministry or not, if you go into law, which you're very gifted at, uh, 
uh, or you're a gifted orator, that you will be good as a lawyer because he was just trying to decide whether he should go on to law school, that you could always teach Sunday school in a church. And that's what he's committed to doing. Y'all, he commits to being here as much as he possibly can. So again, if you're visiting, it's a fluke. <laughs> uh, he is almost always here because it's so important for him to preach the gospel to you and to, to help our understanding. And as a result, he always gives us our points for home. What do we do with these? Other than just, oh good, we have points for home. Do you ever take those and reflect on them because they're in your lesson? Because the best compliment and thank you to Mark Lanier is to say, you know what, the other day you talked about Augustine. And I went back home and I studied through the lesson, just kind of going back over it, and something really jumped out at me and made what you said come to life. And you know what, I, I, I did this as a result. Well, does that make you a prideful person, you know? And I, I went and I did this. We are reliant upon our testimony to one another of how God's changing our life and then what we do as a result of that. If we're not testifying, sometimes it's because we're trying to be cautious not to be too, hey, look at me. But the other side of that coin is maybe we're not doing anything to testify about. The best way of saying thank you to Mark Lanier is sending him a little email saying, hey, brother, you bless me today. Don't stop there because if you just say, hey, great, great message. Everybody says that. Oh, that was great today. Thank you for sharing. That was great. Everybody says that. If you say, man, I was convicted and God brought me to this in my life and it's not the saving the world, but this is what I did. That is a huge thank you to a man who's dedicating his life to growing us up into things for him. How will they know if the preachers are not sent? The preachers they're talking about are not us that are paid, although we're included, but it's you. When can you preach good news to somebody in a world that's hurting and needs hurt? that needs help, that you don't have time for it. If God was just going to take care of everything, then the, the story that Jesus told about the Good Samaritan would be this. A Levite came and a priest came, but they said, you know what? God's word says that he's going to take care of everything, so I'm going to trust him and move on. And the Good Samaritan would come and be, when he got there, no one would be there because God had raised him up and brought him to where he needed to be and healed him. But that's not what the Bible teaches. That We have to stop take our hard-earned time and money and resources and respond to people that are hurting. But how can you respond unless you've been taught, unless someone has taught you and you're growing and you being here are saying that I'm ready to be taught and to learn. So that's your first point for home, a great application for you during this week. Um, the next thing, be willing to receive the word, examine the scriptures and continue to grow. I've talked about the Bereans in Acts 17. Uh, you can read about them in Acts 17 if you have a copy of the Bible later on. But they were eager to hear when Paul preached to them in Berea. They were eager to listen. And when they did, what did they do afterwards? They go up to Paul and say, hey, great word. And go on home. No, they went home and they examined the scriptures because they knew they were going to see Paul the next day. And they wanted to be able to say, you're a fake. Or wow, that's true. We, it lines up with the Old Testament scriptures, which were the only scriptures that they would have had available. But what you said, they found out that it was true. And it made them want to know more and study more. If they were just going to come back next week and let Paul tell them the next set of stuff, they would not have been impacted as much. And it says that 
when Paul finally had to leave and he was rushed out of town because it was bad news for Paul. When he left, the Bereans continued to grow. For whatever reason, when your favorite preacher has to leave or step down or or whatever happens, will you continue to grow? Because it's not about the preacher. It's about you and your responsibility to God's word. It's about you and how you will take it to the next person and apply it to your own life. That's what it's about. John Chrysostom, one of the things that he said, this is what he told his congregation. I hear many of you talk and they say, while we are here in church, you are odd. But when you went out, you became altered men again. And the flame of zeal was quenched. What then may be done that this may not come to pass? This was John's answer. This is what he thought would fix the problem of people getting excited and they're singing the songs and they're raising their hands and they're sitting down and they're reading their Bible and they're hearing the word and they're saying, Amen. Amen. Preach it. That's right. Uh Uh-huh, whether in your own self or out loud, either way. I hear that. Oh, that makes sense. That is good. I did not know that. He said, for that to fade away as you walk out the doors is like pouring water in a bucket with holes in it. It does not do much good. Just to come back a week later and fill up the same holy bucket needs to be a holy bucket, doesn't it? (laughs) So this was John's solution. He says this. He says, when leaving church... Not to immediately step back into the chores of this world and life. Instead, he urged his listeners to make their family, uh, take their family and discuss the service and the sermon. Then the time would come to continue in the world's activities for the day. This was a way to reinforce the message. And John would say that by doing otherwise, people were just wasting their time. He knew why they were coming. He knew he was good. But he took responsibility as best he could to say, hey, guys, if it's just a good feeling that you're getting, you walk out the door saying, ah, I met with Jesus today. The hairs on the back of your neck stood up when they did the key change in that favorite song that you like. And you could just feel and it was good and you were great. You were glad you went to church today. I was, God, I was in bed and I, you heard me say, I don't want to go to church today. And I came and you met me here because, wow, I felt, I felt the presence of God. And then to walk out the door and just forget about that still smiling, and then you get back to the chores of the day. What a waste, John Chrysostom would say. How can we, in 2015, leave the church but still be in awe of God, take an opportunity to move beyond where we are? How can we do that? Be a Berean, go home and study, and then continue to grow. And finally, Be doers of the word and not merely hearers deceiving yourselves, says James in uh, James 1.22. Be a doer of the word. One of the best stories of being a doer is my friend. um, He passed away, I guess it was a year ago, last February. David Huffines was a man of God when I met him. But... uh, when sometimes what I do is I, when I meet people and get to know them, I've asked Mark, he shared his story with me, and I ask him why the people that are like really overly and exuding spirituality and just always trying to, you know, be so good and spiritual, how do, what happened in your life? What brought you to this point? Because the testimony is encouraging to me, just like it would be to you. And so I asked David Huffines that one day, and David said, um, I was just a normal guy doing 
pagan things and going to church and everything was fine. And one day Jeff Shreve preached a sermon. And he said, on a Wednesday night, I heard that sermon and all of a sudden everything clicked for me. And I realized I couldn't just keep coming week after week and being excited about the things of God and then just going out and doing my pagan things. If you allow me to say that, it wasn't like evil necessarily, but it just wasn't overly God-ish. And so he said, that changed my life. That's all he needed to say. That was all the testimony that was needed for me to hear because I had already seen his life ever since I had met him. He was a man that went out of his way to, to, to look for the brokenhearted and to help them, to find ways to meet people's needs, to know what the needs are and meet them, to pray for them. And even as a minister, I mean, he prayed, he suggested we pray more than I did, which made me feel bad because that's what we're paid to do, right? We always pray and then work and, and move on. But he was a man that put me to shame in that sense because he was sold out to God. He still lived in a house. He, he didn't live in the wilderness. But he was a man that impressed upon me the result of not the work of a preacher, because we can't do that. And probably not the work of himself, because in and of himself, he is not good. We are not good. But the Holy Spirit and him allowing the Spirit to work in his life made a difference in such a way that his life before and after that moment was so obvious to everyone who knew him. Anybody know David or knew David Hephans? Am I speaking a lie? It was a man, a man of God. He, um, in a lot of pain, he did commit suicide. And so I'm not trying to gossip again, but in good faith, I want to share the whole thing of all the pain that he was in. Unfortunately, committed suicide, uh, just couldn't stand it anymore. They say maybe the drugs drove him to it as well. And, um, I don't know all that. I know that suicide's not unpardonable sin, but it, it, it's not what God wants for us that even Job had to suffer through. So I'm not excusing that. And I'm not saying that David Huffines is perfect by any means, nor am I, nor are you. So we're all in the same boat, but that we desire to move from here to, to make an action, a decision to take action after we leave this place in order to be all that God's called us to be. And with that, it is 1155, and I will bid you farewell with a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, you are awesome. And just the opportunity to be able to speak about you, having the opportunity to study about you, Father, I'm ashamed that I don't do it more. We ask in this place that you would cause us to have a zeal for you, not just while we're here, but as we walk away, that we would find ways to bring our family together and others to talk about what we've learned Father, help us to make a difference in this hurting world by going out of our way and not just waiting on you to bring circumstances to us. Father, we ask you to love us, to meet our needs, to give us the opportunities to be God-pleasers, God-lovers, and to worship you in spirit and truth. We look forward to what you have for us on Monday, in between now and Monday, between Monday and Sunday. Thank you for Mark and for his service and his ministry. Thank you for his opportunity to teach where he is, to talk about you and other things of life to a bunch of graduates that uh, need to know these things as they go off into uh, law. Pray that you would change their hearts and change their lives and that you would make it so in ourselves. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Thank you for my voice back. Amen. Amen.